Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. Eli? So I, I came across a story. I thought this was really, really fascinating. And the title was, Three Habits Helped Me Pay Off 300000 of Debt in Three Years. Well, we'll get into some of those habits. But what I, I was really fascinated by, and here's what I think is the most important thing, so at some point you have to decide what's going to be a priority for me, right? So is there different ways you can pay off 300000 in debt in three years? Yes, there's different ways you can do it. You have to make certain income to be able to do it. Yes, you can, or yes, you do. But there, I just thought this was a really nice story of someone who is just kind of in a spot where I'm not really sure how to do this and then implemented a few things that are very easy and got out of debt. And I don't know, I honestly can't tell you how how relevant is it to be responsible with your debt and be out of debt, right? Like investing is one thing, it's part of the equation, but managing your debt, and that's one of the biggest hurdles for most people is just have, being responsible with that. So some of the things this person pointed out on their journey to be debt-free make paying off debt a top priority. Well, yeah, if you want to accomplish something, it should be a priority for you. Um, spend every dollar. Okay. Fancy way for saying run a budget. You can do a zero based budget. You're spending all your money. You know where it's going. And then here's what I like the most. Simplify your financial life. Almost everyone could benefit from having a more simple approach to their money, even the stuff we're talking about. And we, we do it, right? Like we talk about trading and all this, the vast majority of people, it doesn't matter what trades you make, keep buying a diversified portfolio. That's a good trade for you and just let it work. Right. So simplifying, um, to me that that was the main point from this article that I really thought was, uh, on point. Well, I like, I think this is counterintuitive. You mentioned a zero based budget. So basically spend, every dollar you make that doesn't mean below every dollar you make it just says hey, I, I can do that i'm good at doing that i'll go blow the money 99 percent of america is <laughs> good at that too but yeah. what that what spend every dollar actually means is instead of saying i have 870 dollars left over every month say i have 870 dollars to invest every month so that's a zero-based budget so you're going to get to the end of the month and arguably on the last day of the month you're going to live paycheck to paycheck, but you're not really because you're putting money away. So it's almost like the paycheck to paycheck sense of mind. It's how I run my business. It's how I run my personal life. I just plan on the last day of the month, I'm out of money. And then it gets refilled into the zero-based budget because right. I'm saving places. Obviously, we have access to money if I need it. But there's no reason to let this just accumulate in a checking account earning, you know, point maybe it's 0.5% now, some are better. I mean, rates are higher, but even now you could take all this excess cash and buy 5% CDs or whatever the best CD rate out there is. So I think that's one, one thing that I took away from, from that article. And also simplification of life. It's not just simplifying your debt. It's simplifying everything. We had an individual come in here whose husband ran all the books. And he's not in a position anymore to do the books. And they had, I don't even remember, you probably remember Elias. They had five, six different banks because 
husband to go shop for the best interest rate out there. And he was okay juggling these five to six banks. Well, now the spouse comes in and she thinks she needs to juggle five or six banks. Nope. Get to one bank. Why would you have five different banks? You only need one account to transact out of. A quarter point extra interest to have to go to a different bank and do all this extra work, it's not worth it. No. It's not worth it. Especially if you think about it, and I'm not bragging on us here, but our clients who are here, we can transact CDs in their accounts. Our rates are the same or better than their local bank. Why would they need five different banks? They can have five different banks in one account. You just need one account to transact business in. Well, and if you think about people that come in here, they think they need to have all these different accounts. They don't have to. I was listening. Do you know who Ryan Surhan is? I do not. Okay, so he's on Million Dollar Listing. He is in New York. Oh. He's one of the top real estate guys out there. I probably do know him. I think I sent you this. got salt and pepper hair. Yeah. I've watched this show before. I sent you this article. I know who that is. I sent you the video. Yep. Um, he's one of the top real estate agents in New York City. He, he, I mean, his claim to fame is he was on soap operas at one time, but he's been on million dollar listing. Was for, he really? Yeah. He was on, he was really? on soap operas way back in the day. But anyway, um, and I like million dollar listings. I like to see these expensive properties people are buying and what's different between New York and LA because I have one in LA too. Anyway, Ryan Serhan released a, released a, uh, YouTube video about six things that billionaires do that the regular public doesn't. That makes them different. And in the world, there's a little over 2,600 billionaires in the world. Okay. That are identified. Uh, There's probably more. Just we maybe haven't identified. There's some super duper rich people that no one knows how rich they are. They're the billionaire, (laughs) billionaire next door. No, I'm saying like people that got more, that trillionaires that just no one even knows. Yeah. So, but Ryan Surhan in his cell phone has the phone numbers of 94 of these billionaires because he's transacting with the wealthiest people in the world in New York City. So he started just doing studies and laid out what some of these people were doing differently. And one, they don't waste time. They don't waste time. He used the example. He went out to dinner with one of them and the lady handed the menu And the guy handed the menu right back and said, you guys pick, surprise us. Because they didn't have time to everybody look through the menu and use all these brain cells to figure out what they wanted for food. Just they knew they were at a great restaurant. Everything was going to be good. But what I thought was more interesting, he said, the billionaire. So some of the smartest business people in the world make things less complicated on a $100 million property than people buying a $1 and $2 million property. And he's the example. These guys will do it over a text message and get it done. On a $100 million property, someone buying their first million or $2 million property thinks they have to have a bank or an attorney and all these different people involved because they think that this is what rich people do. But in reality, rich no. people keep it simple. It's just a much bigger deal to them. Where yes, the, the billionaire just... I know I want to get this done. I don't care about the details. I want it done. Yes. And if you think about individuals who make their finances complicated, they're typically doing it because they think that's what rich people do. Oh, there's, I know all kinds of, I could tell you story after story about people overcomplicating their situation. So I think that the one takeaway from this is simplify, not just like your debt, just simplify your whole situation. 
So speaking of um, Ryan, what was his last name? I think it's Sirhan is how it's pronounced. Is it? Okay. So, yeah, his um, his video is like, what, the six habits of billionaires? Yeah. And that's out there on YouTube, um, which is kind of funny that you sent me that because I had read a, an article caught my attention about the secret to raising millionaire CEOs. So, of course, oh, that caught my attention. I have three kids. Um so I, I started reading it, and I think there were some really good takeaways from it. Now, if you do these things, are your kids going to become a millionaire CEO? That's an unreasonable expectation, right? Like if someone grows up and wants to be um, a teacher, a police officer, work in the blue-collar trades, like you're probably not going to be a millionaire CEO. But some of the things they talked about um, I, I think were good lessons and – are relevant. It's relevant one financial and financial planning, and then just kind of relevant as far as um, being a parent and and raising your kids. So some of it was take risk, but be ready to face failures. Which it's easy, you know, when you're um, when you're raising your family, it's easy to okay. I don't want my kid to fail. Well, no one wants that, right? But maybe if they take a risk and then they can face that and then overcome, those are probably good life skills to learn. Um, another thing that I thought was insightful was these parents actually kind of like switched careers in the middle of their careers. So they had been a doctor and an accountant, and then they stopped working in good careers already to start a, um, a, bit, a technology consulting business and became a startup. I can probably make an argument that that had a lot to do with like how to raise their, being able to raise kids, I can do that, right? Like being able to show them how it's actually done. So I, I think these are additionally other habits that, um, you know, are you maybe, are, is, is everyone set up or not set up, but does everyone have all the things, all the tools to become a CEO and be a millionaire and run a big company? Probably not, but most people do have the ability to be a millionaire someday. If you save your money, you buy smart investments, you know, sometimes just don't stub your own toe by doing things that are silly. Um, did you have something you wanted to add on there? So two things. First, everybody can be a millionaire if they want to. That's very attainable. But you can't, you can't decide at 50. You got to decide when you're 20. It's going to be harder at 50. If you decide at you're, if you decide at age 20, you can do it. Yeah. You can't, make all kinds of bad decisions your whole life and decide at 50, you're going to be a millionaire. It may work out, but it's not likely because you, you just don't well, have the, time value. At that point, your, your best bet is to start a business. You better start a business. That's your best opportunity and a big one Two, I had watched, um, an interview with Jordan Peterson and we've talked about him before. He's Dr. Jordan Peterson, the guy who only eats red meat and salt. Um, and he was talking about, fear. And one of the things in here said, you know, be prepared to fail. And most of the reason people don't do things is fear. And he kind of turned the spin around on it and talked about, you know, there's two options. Are you more fearful of starting a business and failing one that could be worth a hundred million dollars, let's say, or are you more scared or more fearful of Staying at the same stagnant job that you have that you hate, what's more fearful? So if you're working at a $40,000 burger flipping job, 
Are you more fearful of that? Or are you more fearful of actually trying to start something that might fail? Because does it really matter? And this made me think. I, I was watching an interview with, I was, I mean, it was good insight. Never really thought about it that way. Like, we fear this unknown, but should we fear the unknown more than we fear the known? Like, what's the worst? If you have a $50,000 that's job. Too, that's too deep of a question. Think of, but if you, I mean, <laughs> seriously, though, if someone's listening and you're stuck in this position where you're like, man, I make 50 grand, but I'd really like to do this. Well, if you go start this business, it doesn't work out. What's the worst thing that happens? You go back to what you you're doing. You go find doing. a $50,000 yeah. job. But that's not how we're hardwired. That's not how society wires us. We're wired to go to school, borrow $100,000 in student loans, that then we have to go have a regular job so that we can pay them back. We can't take this risk. Think about the people in our industry who are highly successful. A lot of the people in our industry which is arguably risky coming out of school because most of the places that get you into this business, there's no high salary or benefits. You're like, yep, here you go. Have fun. And uh, But some of the most successful people, one of two things happened. They got into this industry right out of college or they got into this industry and their spouse had a good job. Very rarely do they jump into this industry and they have two kids and a spouse and they're the breadwinner. Because they're too oh, fearful of what no, lies. Yeah, very few, very few people early on. So I've been reading this Jordan Peterson article and watching some videos on it. Then last night I'm watching an interview with Elon Musk. And they talked about starting Tesla and, and how he started it. And he had, I think the number was he had 300 and, no, he had, a, he had 180 million was his proceeds from the PayPal sale. You know, he, he started PayPal with some other people. So when he started Tesla, he put in 90 million of his own money. And he thought that would be enough. And it wasn't. And soon he was through the 90 plus his next 90, which was his safety money. And um, now he started borrowing money. And the interview asked him, said, hey, did you know this company was going to succeed? He goes, no. He did. No, I didn't. He goes, I actually thought it was going to fail. But I just refused to let it fail. He was like, I was more worried about what would happen if I didn't do this versus what happens if this fails. He's like, that's the same way I approach SpaceX. So if you start to look at like how entrepreneurs look at things, they don't look at it as, well, man, I'm really scared this won't work. They're more scared of what happens if I don't do this. And I think if other people kind of approach their life like that, we'd have a lot more entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. We, oh, definitely. Yeah, we absolutely would. And Elon Musk, he's a really, uh, he's an extraordinary example of someone. I think another thing people should remember about him, people that are pushing the envelope like that, he probably genuinely does not care about the money, which I think sometimes people kind of maybe have this view that, oh, well, if you're so rich, you don't just care about money. I'm not saying it from a sense that like he cares, right? He knows how the world runs. He knows he needs access to capital to accomplish his goals. But for him, it's strictly a tool to get these other things done. He wants to build up Tesla. He wants to take people to Mars. And I don't even know that. I don't think he believes he can actually take people to Mars in his lifetime. But like he said about Tesla, I'm just going to keep working on it until it works. Well, And I if he does get there, then he just took us 
he just took us further than maybe anyone ever. So, so think about this. He doesn't care about money. He doesn't have any possessions. He gave no, up. Isn't most he of his still living like on a cot out in the parking yeah, lot? Yeah, I don't or know if he's or... still doing that. But on the special, it was talking about him sleeping in the facility. He had a girlfriend at the time. That the only way she could see him is if she stayed at the factory with him because that's where he was sleeping. He's working twenty two hours a day. That's um, not going down but, in my house. That but, would never work. No, mine either. <laughs> but you mentioned like he didn't care about the money. It's a lot of these really wealthy people don't care about the money. Warren Buffett, he's still in the same house he's been at forever. He doesn't really care. I mean, I'm sure there's a part of him who cares about the money because what he can do with it from a philanthropic standpoint. But it's not so he can go increase his lifestyle. He's never increased it. He's just doing the same thing. Yeah. He, he just wants to have Dairy Queen. He likes his house and he likes eating at McDonald's and Dairy Queen. He's what, a is he Coca-Cola, guy. right? He drinks the Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. Drinks yeah. soda. He's got like the worst diet of all time. He's still kicking. Yeah. You know, but so we're talking about, you know, the last thing you talked about, Elias, is like how to set your kids up to be entrepreneurs. But at some level, education still plays a part here. And one of the things... You know, we, I get asked all the time. I was at a retirement party for my dad and someone asked me, you know, what are you doing for your kid's college? What do you think of a 529 plan? And what I do and what other people do, it's all personal preference, right? But, you know, if you want to help fund college education, if you want to set things up, a 529 plan is a really nice way to do it. And especially with some of the changes that came down with these 529 plans where there's some conversion opportunities to a Roth IRA if the money's not used. And basically, if you don't know what a 529 plan is, it's a vehicle that accumulates dollars used for education on a tax-free basis, similar to a Roth IRA. But the funds have to be used for a qualified educational expense. You can now use it for uh kindergarten, pre-K, you know, um, private school through high school. You can use the funds for that. There are um, contribution limits to get uh, tax deductibility at the state level for some states. But one of the things I always run into is people like to utilize or utilize this excuse for not doing it. It's just an excuse. You know, well, I don't want to do that. What if my kid doesn't go to school? And what I found is, that's just an excuse not to contribute because the worst case scenario is you're going to pay some tax and a penalty on the gains. I'm going to guess for most people, this is money you never would have saved anyway. And most people who are saving in a 529 plan, they probably went to school of some kind and their children will probably go to some kind of higher education, whether it's trades, apprentice, you know, four year, it, it, it can be used for all of these different items for school, there's really no reason to not do it. You know, and I looked at my account, I knew we were doing the show today. So I actually looked at my account balance last night with my wife and my wife doesn't really have much to do with finances at all. But I just said, Hey, I haven't looked at these for like a year and a half. What are they at? And I looked at my seven year olds. I'm like, well, she's got enough to pay for four years at the in-state college here already. I got pay four years of tuition with hers right now at seven. And my three-year-old, I got about two years. So my wife goes, how to keep putting in then? Well, that's what she asked. And I said, yeah. And here's why I don't want to limit the opportunity for my kids to do it. Cause I can afford to keep putting in. Right. And I don't want to, you could assign different. If they don't use it all, you can assign a different beneficiary too. You can make a it. grandkid a beneficiary. Well, and there's Roth conversion opportunities. And my wife goes, well, what's the worst thing that happens? I said, the worst thing that happens is 
we cash the money out. We pay tax and penalty on the interest. Yeah. That wasn't used for school. Whoops, a day. Well, okay, so I paid I paid an extra ten percent in tax. Is what it is. But the reason I'm doing it is I don't want their opportunities to be limited on where they're going to school based upon how much money I saved or how much debt they don't want to have. And and here's why I say it. When I went to college and my parents paid for my tuition at the in-state colleges, and I'm grateful for it. I came out of I came out of college with minimal debt. Um, I took loans for one year, basically just to live on. I had to cover my room, board, and books. Parents paid tuition. That's a reasonable thing to do. But when I made my college choices, because the agreement was they would pay in-state tuition, guess where I limited my search to? In-state. In-state public tuition. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with our colleges. But if you think about, and we've talked about this, what is college? It's really not, I mean, you get some education. It's more experiences you're getting, right? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Unless you're going for a specialized degree, which most people aren't. If you're going to get a finance degree or an accounting degree or a you know, horticulture or doctorate, it's one thing. So if it's going to be partly experience, I kind of want my family to be able to go where they want to go and say, hey, where would you like to go and not be limited to in-state here? Or if they want to go out of state, they have to rack up $200,000 in student loans to do it. So your question is, do whether I'll contribute? Yes, because I feel the worst case scenario is I'm going to pay a 10% penalty on the interest. But either way, I'm hopefully not going to have to worry about them being in debt and then, you know, me having to come up with more money to pay for it. Like what's in the pots, what's in the pot? We're not going to come up with more, but there's going to be plenty in the pot. Yeah, so I always ask an upside-down question, a Jonas upside-down question when people bring up 529. Well, it, another thing to ask, what are you currently doing for your own savings? Me, personally, I don't believe in saving for college unless you're saving for your yep. long-term, 100%. long-term savings. So in the list of priorities, your long-term savings is on top of the college savings you get to a point where you can do it then great do it but i know who's i know who's not going to take care of you financially if you need money when you're old um the kids you paid to go to college well the kids I, that you paid for their college your own children i want to preface one thing i'm not doing anything like outlandish the amount of money i put in it's less than half the average car payment so if for each child so if anybody's watched yeah. our show and go figure it out. I'm putting in less than half of the average car payment in America for each kid. And I've yeah. already got four years paid for it. But here's what happened. I seeded it with a small chunk of money initially. And then I made constant contributions each year. And guess what? Every year, my, my, my contribution automatically increases $25 per month. Really? I didn't know... Um... I guess yeah. I wasn't aware that they have an automatic increase. Yep. You can pick, yeah. pick a percentage or a dollar amount. So I'm literally doing exactly what we tell all of our listeners to do with these accounts. And I told my wife, she goes, well, we probably don't have to put more in. I said, we're going to keep contributing, not maybe till the end, but till that balance gets higher. Well, it's not like, I mean, you said earlier, worst case scenario is 
you don't use it on qualified expenses and you owe an income tax and a penalty, which Any other? even after you back out that the penalty and the tax as a loss, you still have more money than had you just put the money in a savings well, remember, account. Remember, it's only tax on the gains, so arguably yeah, if I would yeah. argue if I would have put that in some other investment, I'd still owe that tax. And so what I have to pay a penalty if it's not used, that's the safety. I can always give it to a grandkid. I can give it to a different beneficiary. It doesn't ever have to come out of there. So I just thought it'd be good to talk about why people tell me they can't contribute. And I, I think that most of those reasons are now over because of some of the changes that were made. With that said, Let's talk about reasons that you shouldn't contribute to a 529, which you hit on a couple of these, right? But I think there's really like five reasons you should look at why you shouldn't contribute to a 529 plan. Yeah, I can take these. Number one, you don't have enough emergency savings, right? You need an emergency fund as a priority over 529. You haven't maxed the match in your 401k. So, the, right, this is almost like order of operations. If you're not maxing or uh, at least getting the match in your 401k, 529 really shouldn't even be on the table. You have high interest rate debt. Okay, you got too much debt on credit cards. Saving for a home purchase. I think that's another good one. If you if you want to buy a home and you, you want a down payment for the home, I think the vast majority of families your priority should be to have a down payment for a home so you have a nice place to live in a neighborhood that you want to live in before paying for future education expenses. And then the fifth one I already talked about, but you're not saving enough for your own long-term savings. So I think, but after you got those things all in order and doing those, then yeah, kick up some 529 money. And if it's priority for you, it's not a priority. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be... um, it, there's other ways to save for your kids. You can just have an investment account for them. And then the money's for whatever. There's still taxes and stuff, but so it is he, what it is. Here's here. That's a really great point, Elias. There's so many other ways to save for this. It doesn't have to be a 529. So one of the things I know I have at least one or two, one couple for sure doing it is they want to pay for their kids' college. But their kids are fairly athletic where they may get scholarships. Okay, and both the parents were fairly athletic and they're tall and they're older. So what they've chosen to do as kind of their funding mechanism for college is we're going to make sure we're maxed. They're already maxing out like employer plans. They have some pensions. Um, They're maxing Roth IRAs. Their Roth IRA money, because once their kids are in college, they'll both be, or at least the husband will be over 59 and a half. That's some of the money they're planning on using for college. So if you think about it, they're still saving the same space, but they won't be penalized if they don't use it. And they don't necessarily need it because they have pensions to fund their retirement. But it's still like their money. They didn't feel like they were contributing to just a college savings plan. And they were also intentional. They were intentional. About They're like, that. well, like, we that's don't, the way they planned on doing. You it. got it. They planned on doing. And it was a conversation we had like ten years ago. Their kids were like two and three, and they said, "Well, we just don't know if we want to have it locked up in here because dad had a scholarship and mom had a scholarship for athletics, and you know, not yeah. that that's a predictor, but if both parents had like scholarships for athletics, 
there's a likelihood your there, kids might get one. Their kids are going to be more athletic. I mean, mom's than like mo- six one. Average kid like, out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it, there, there's where you have to look behind and be creative, and that's where advisors can inherently add some value to you as to well, maybe we can think outside the box um, as to what we actually, you know, want to do here. Well, hey Elias, as usual, great show. Uh, with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you would like to get information, go to btwellshow.com. We look forward to uh, you guys checking in next time. Thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, Consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.